Well, before we dive into week three of our series, The World Turned Upside Down, um, we uh, have some cool announcements that we get to share with you. Um, If you've been around our church uh, this fall, you know that we have been on this journey that Joanne mentioned earlier called Bridge to the Future. Uh, Our lease in this facility is coming to a close with no option to renew. And so our leadership, uh, you know, after seeking God, decided that our our best next step was to build a new church home for us real far away, um, right across the street in that empty 2.8 acres over there. And uh, man, uh, we jumped into this journey called Bridge to the Future where we were raising funds, uh, in- inviting everybody that calls Bridgeway home to join us in sacrifice and surrender so that we could uh, actually pay for this uh, new facility that we're gonna gather in and welcome our community into and then bless Uh, Kokomo from, and uh, I get to this morning share some of our totals from fundraising or from pledges. That's pretty exciting, right? You don't sound too excited. (laughs) Anyway, I'd like to share some of this. So we asked everybody who's a part of our church to consider giving and sacrificing in three different ways. The first way was to uh, give creatively. And this is where we were asking you to look at things that you actually own, things that you have that you like, and actually see if God would have you sell that or commit to selling that and bringing the resources towards this fund. And um, man, you guys showed up in this, and I've seen you guys active on Facebook Marketplace like never before. And uh, this is what we have pledged to give, just creatively, $23,610. Not too shabby, right? Oh, you just wait. Another thing that we uh, asked you guys and challenged everybody who calls Bridgeway home to participate in is to give consistently. To uh, If you haven't started giving in that weekly or biweekly or monthly way, to stretch that for the next couple years as we get into this new space, we had determined that it was gonna cost us about $8,000 more in just general fund giving every month for us to afford uh, going from renters to owners across the street. So our goal was $8,000 in just new monthly resources. And you guys blew that out of the water. This is what we were able to do consistently over $15,098 in just new money monthly, which is more than gonna pay for whatever mortgage payment we're going to have. So that's just incredible. Over two years, $362,352. So way to go, you guys. Um, Just looking at what your month to month looks like and stretching that and um, walking into a season of sacrifice so that we can make it happen. I mean, that's unbelievable, just completely doubling what we were expecting. But we know that the big scary thing was um, our, what we called give courageously. And this is where we were trying to raise uh, north of a million dollars for a great down payment. We were aiming for almost 40% of the whole project to come in um, by March of 2023 in cash so that we could have a great down payment so our monthly payments were lower. And it was a big ask, and we were like, it was pretty scary for all of us to look at numbers like that. But through the pledge cards uh, thus far, I love, I, it's so fun. I get to share with you guys this is what we have committed towards the down payment $1,100,058. It's really, really incredible, you guys. So that's just unbelievable. We're in great shape heading into um, breaking ground, hopefully in March of 2023. It's really, really exciting. I shared last week that we paid cash for the land over there. And so uh, we actually closed on that two weeks ago. So I've been holding all my meetings on the phone with the winter coat on, just walking on the land, um, (laughs) naming it and claiming it. No, no, we're moving forward. So it's really, really exciting. Um, You know, from the very beginning, we said that our main goal was that we would have 100% participation from families that call 
Bridgeway their home. And uh, we had that main goal of trying to come forward with that money for the down payment as well. So here's some of the totals. We had over 101 families or individuals participating, which is pretty darn good. And our total over these next two years is $1,476,627. It's pretty crazy, right? Pretty awesome. So... So yes, yeah, so man, I'm just so honored. So many of you guys that jumped in on this and um, are just walking with us into this season so that we can build a bridge to the future that God has for us. I never in a million years would have thought that we would be in the position that we are, but time and time again, um, we are just the most generous church that I've ever heard of. And so it's just an honor to be on this journey with you guys. Thanks so much for your sacrifice, for your surrender, for you wanting to partner with God to do this new thing. So that being said, you know, 101 families have jumped in on this. I know that there are some other families that have talked to me, said, hey, we're waiting to see how the end of the year goes, but there is still time to jump in on this if you feel called or led to do so. We do have this gap because we wanted 1.25 million for our down payment. We do have this gap as of today of a little, uh, you know, uh, right around $150,000. And so, um, and if you haven't yet, know that your giving, your sacrifice uh, is going to go to where more money can go directly towards ministry and less towards mortgage. And you can help us hit this um, complete goal of the $1.25 million. Maybe there's someone among us this morning who is afflicted with affluence. Oh, it's a rough job, but someone's got to do it. And you could just, you know, you could cover that. You could cover that gap, or maybe you can make a big dent in that gap. I want to say that the door is still open for you to make that difference and for us to reach our goals together. But overall, you guys, um, I just speak for our board and for the leadership of our church. We are so stunned with the sacrifice and with your belief in our mission and what we're doing. And you guys, we're going to build a church. That's kind of crazy. That's fun. Really, really excited about that. Way to go, everybody. Okay, cool. So we are in week three of our series, The World Turned Upside Down. Somebody doesn't get that reference needs to see Hamilton. And um, so I just wanna say this. We're like T minus two weeks from Christmas. Anybody feeling the pressure? Um, can I be real with you guys that um, one of the things as I've gotten older that's lost its shine is just getting and giving gifts. You know, the whole gift thing around Christmas isn't what it used to be when I was a little kid and all the wonder around it. I mean, as I've become an adult, I either ask for something that's way too practical that someone's going to be like, that's lame. I can't just get you 20 pairs of socks or uh, things are just way too expensive that I feel embarrassed to ask people for. Like, hey, I need a transmission in my car. How's that for fit that? of my stocking, right? I mean, like, it just feels awkward. And I've got family members, hashtag my mother, who's texting me all the time and just like, hey, still haven't gotten your Christmas list. Copy and paste text two weeks later. Still haven't gotten your Christmas list. And it's like, I find myself like in this awkward space to where I'm like, I don't know. So I like spend time after the kids go to bed on my phone, like, like looking to want something for Christmas, like Googling those lists are like the most wanted gifts for men over 30 and all these kind of things. It's like so lame. It's just my life. And this whole idea of me just not, not loving gifts, um, it, it's, it's really drifted over into giving gifts as well. I'm just not good at it. For a while, I was keeping a note on my phone with significant others in my life to where they would say they liked something or wanted something. I'd be like, right then, on my phone and put it down. What happens most of the time now is I think I should make a note in my phone, and I don't. And then it comes to like two weeks before Christmas, and I'm like, what did they say they wanted? It's terrible. 
It's just a struggle for me. So what I wanna do is just to help me and maybe to help you if you're not great at giving, getting gifts, uh, help us see sort of a a survey says of what people actually want for Christmas. That would be helpful maybe for a few of us or maybe it's just gonna help me, maybe that's it. But here's what survey says uh, is the most wished for Christmas gifts in 2022. Uh, Coming in at number three, uh, over a third of people said they wanted books or like, you know, like that new thing to put on a shelf to make it look like you're smart, but you never actually read a book. Or uh, media, uh, maybe that's movies, or maybe that's actually paying for like Netflix or HBO Max for an entire year so you don't have to steal passwords anymore. I mean, that's a great <laughs> gift idea, right? Because they're gonna figure that out one of these days and we're all in trouble. I see you. <laughs> we're all in trouble because they're gonna lock this down one of these days. But anyway, 35% want that. Next, uh, over 50% of people want clothing or accessories. You know, who doesn't want to like on December 20th? wear their new winter coat or their new Christmas shoes or something like that. It's just what we do after we get the new things. You can't go wrong with that. But overall, the number one uh, most wished for gift survey says is gift cards. You guys know this? Gift cards, it's what people want because they're like, I can get exactly what I want from where I want it. And the best gift cards are not from a specific store. They're like the Visa or MasterCard gift cards where you can spend them anywhere, right? It's just the number one thing that people want. So if you're struggling... Know some Bezos bucks will do somebody pretty good. Get some Amazon or something like that. Or see like how, how long can you make it on a $50 Starbucks gift card? Like, can you make it to February? I doubt it. Like we do that kind of thing. But this morning, I'd love to share about um, one of the gifts of Christmas that I don't think we ever ask for, but it's something that we all long for, something that we really want, even though we can't put it on our Christmas list. And it's a gift that, I believe that um, the arrival of Jesus set into motion, and it's a gift that you want and you need and I want and I need. Uh, We just call it this, the gift of belonging. The gift of belonging. I don't know you, but I know this about you because you're just like me, that we, as humans, we all want to belong. Not just to fit in or just be like put up with, But we want to belong, to be seen, and to be known from the inside out, to feel that we are accepted and we're valued for who we are. Even our bumps, our quirks, our bruises, our brokenness, our bad habits, we want to have an embrace from somebody to where they see us and they still accept us. They know us and they still say that we belong. We all want this because no one wants to feel alone. I mean, this is baked into so much of our human experience. Back in the 70s, NASA sent into the deep recesses of space, Voyager 1 and Voyager 2, and on these spacecraft, they actually sent them with this thing called a golden record. It was a recording of some powerful human sounds just in case they met our neighbors from another universe, right? And on this golden record, there were some powerful human sounds like a baby crying, a baby giggling, a dog barking, a a heartbeat. There was also a recording of some music. And actually the song that they chose was a song from a quartet from a Beethoven work and it sounds a little something like this. It's beautiful. Kind of haunting. Beautiful, right? The sound that's sent up into space. Now in the margins of that song and in the music, originally from Beethoven, he wrote the beautiful sounding German word, Sinsacht. That's a joke because nothing in German sounds beautiful. But the word, sorry if there's any Germans here. I love you, just your language. Not romantic sounding. Um, Sinsucht. Sinsucht actually means longing in German. 
longing. And that music kind of sounds like longing, longing to connect, longing to be accepted, longing to belong. And if I was in charge of the golden record, I probably wouldn't have picked Beethoven. Um, I probably would have picked this song with my lighter up in the air. I want to know what love is. You feel it. I want you to show me. Foreigner, what would be better to go out into space, right? Pretty embarrassing, but I had to make that happen. But there's just baked into our art, it's baked into our music, this longing to connect and longing to be known. Back in 2021 at Harvard, there was a study done on Americans and on our social habits and our social deficits. This is in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic. And they actually indicted our American culture with this phrase that America suffers from an epidemic of loneliness. That Americans, we suffer from an epidemic of loneliness, powerful language to write in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic. But in this this study done by these Harvard researchers, they saw that 36% of American adults confessed that they experienced serious loneliness, feeling lonely frequently or almost all the time. This included 61% of 18 to 25-year-olds who have the world in their palms on their smartphones all the time, and over half, 51% of mothers who are around their small children often Young adults, 18 to 25-year-olds in this study suffer from such a high level of loneliness and anxiety and depression. 63% of them feel depression, anxiety because of their isolation, which led the lead researcher in their abstract to say this at the end of their study and their key findings. I think this is so powerful. He said this, that we need to return to an idea that was central to our founding as a nation and is at the heart of many great religious traditions, not only Christianity. Here's that finding this foundational thought that we have commitments to ourselves, yes, but we also have vital commitments to each other, including to those who are vulnerable. That yes, we have commitments to ourselves, but it is our role, and this sounds very much like Jesus, doesn't it, my friends? It is our role to always be looking for the outsider, the lonely, the marginalized, the isolated, and to bring them in such a powerful finding. And it's not just for like normal Americans. It's not just for the muggles among us, right? This is something that is actually true and a human desire um, that is expressed even for people that are at the top of the food chain, the influencers, the celebrities. You might recognize this material girl from the 80s. This is Madonna. She said in a recent interview this, that there are whole chunks of my life where I was so lonely And I felt like I didn't have a friend in the world. Here's someone who was filling stadiums, having people scream and pass out when they see her. But she expressed that she felt like she had no friend in the world. And then people among us that have IQs off the charts who understand so much like Albert Einstein, who I'm working on his hairstyle apparently. (laughs) He said this, it is strange. I don't know why you guys laugh so hard at that. I'm a little offended. (laughs) I didn't think that would go over so well. Uh, It is strange to be known so universally and yet to be so lonely. Doesn't Dr. Einstein, doesn't he have a point here that we've all experienced that people can know a lot about us, but they don't know us at all. We can be known universally. People see us on our highlight reels on social media, but they don't really know what's really going on under the hood, if you will. And it's led other researchers to talk about this phenomenon that I think has probably always been around, but it's just so prevalent today. 
that many of us experience what's called crowded loneliness. Have you guys heard this phrase, crowded loneliness? That there is a way that we can be in a big room of people, maybe 60, 70, a couple hundred like we are this morning, or 20,000, 60,000 in a huge crowd where we're around a lot of people, but we feel isolated and alone even there. I've had some brave people tell me this, that church is one of those places where they feel crowded loneliness, where they're in a crowd, but they feel like nobody sees them. Nobody looks them in the eyes and nobody recognizes their dignity and their humanity. And man, that just breaks my heart. But I know it's something that maybe you've experienced here as well. You guys, some of the power of Christmas, the story of Christmas, of the arrival of the God-man Jesus into human history is that Jesus came to bring us belonging. He came to bring us an embrace. He came to bring us what I call the with us factor. One of the names for Jesus is Emmanuel, which in Hebrew means God with us, not God talking to us, God yelling at us, but God with us. And this changes so much because this God revealed in Jesus, he longs to be with you to where you're not alone and isolated, but to walk with you and to embrace you. One of Jesus' closest friends, the apostle, the disciple John, in his gospel account of Jesus' life, he begins the Christmas story by breaking into a poem. And Eugene Peterson, in the message paraphrase, he he picks up what John is putting down at the very beginning of chapter one of his gospel. And John says this, that the word or Jesus became flesh and blood. He became human and he moved into the neighborhood. (laughs) We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one of a kind glory, like father, like son, generous, inside and out, true from start to finish. John, looking years later, back on the arrival of Jesus into the world, says that this was God moving into the neighborhood. This was God not spouting truth at us, but becoming our neighbor and a good neighbor at that, one who's generous inside and out. It's just who he is. And this is the reality that Jesus came to bring, this, to give us this gift of belonging that turned the world upside down. And I think it still can turn our worlds upside down today. And so to show us this, to like sort of walk through and, and spell out what and how Jesus brought this gift of belonging, I wanna take us to what I find to be one of the more powerful narratives in all of his biographies in our New Testament called the Gospels. In John chapter four, We hear about Jesus and a Samaritan woman at the well. And we hear about this woman who was so alone and isolated who Jesus embraced and saw and knew from the inside and out. And man, it changed her world. And I think this same reality can change our worlds and turn them upside down as well. So I wanna walk through this account that we're given in John chapter four together. It starts here. We'll pick up right here. Now he had, Jesus had to go through Samaria. So Jesus is traveling on foot with his disciples. He had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph, some of Jesus' family of origin, some of their backstory. Jacob's well was there and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. I love this tidbit that Jesus was tired. Jesus was 100% God, but he wasn't superhuman. Um, History would tell us that he traveled about 31 miles on foot and he gets to this well and you better believe that he is exhausted. He sits down, maybe kind of collapses near the well and he just wants a cool drink of water. 
And we're told this is what happens next, some interesting details. It was about noon when a Samaritan woman came to draw water. So this is interesting. Like, why, for one, is John telling us the ethnic background of this woman? And why, for two, are we told the time of day that this is going on, right? It seems like some weird details that were given into this story, but John knows exactly what he's doing because these details matter for us to understand what Jesus is up to. First, we see that it says a Samaritan woman. It doesn't say Samaritan women at all, which is interesting because in the first century, it was habit and it was just custom for many women to go to the well together. It was a communal event because they would get water and they would carry jugs of water on their back, 30 to 50 pounds of um, water back to their home to live their day. But they did it together as an, a communal activity. But we're told this is just one woman there all alone, which is really odd. We're also told it was noon, which is an interesting detail because um, people never drew water from wells at noon. They would go early, early in the morning before the hot sun was beating down on them. This woman, she's there alone and she's there at the wrong time. Why? Because she's all alone and she likes it that way. She's hiding. She has nobody to do this with or no women will be seen with her. And she thinks if I go at noon, the hottest point of the day, then maybe no one will bother me and no one will harass me or traumatize me any further. But it's at this exact moment that Jesus decides to stop and get a water. I think Jesus is like, he knows what's going on. He's about to do something beautiful. We're told this in the very next verse. Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink. We're told his disciples had gone into town to buy food, telling us that it's just Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well. The Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? And John tells us this detail of context. For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. There's so much going on in this conversation, but something that I, we have to understand, my friends, is how many barriers Jesus is breaking down, how many cultural norms Jesus is kicking over, how many walls that have been built up between him and this woman that he doesn't care about because he's doing a new and a better thing. In this conversation, this is a scandalous event. This is a revolutionary event that the first century listeners to this story would have been appalled and intrigued. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, we should be as well. See, Jesus is breaking down three different assumed barriers between him and the Samaritan woman. One was a gender barrier. In the first century, Jewish men, according to what was called halakot, which is the way that they walk out the Old Testament laws, a bunch of customs and rules built on the Old Testament law, men were never supposed to speak to a woman that was not their wife. That was, mm -mm, that's a no-no. Men, as we spoke about last week, were supposed to be four cubits away from a woman who was not their wife unless there was somebody else around. And here's Jesus alone with a woman who's not his wife, and he speaks to her. He breaks down that gender barrier. He says, I know that's a custom here. I'm not playing that game. I'm playing by different rules. Jesus also breaks down a religious barrier. Samaritans and Jesus' people, the Jews, they came from the same origin, but they, they decided to worship and practice their faith in a different way. Jewish people, like Jesus, believed that the whole Old Testament was the inspired Hebrew scriptures, the word of God, but Samaritans actually believed only the first five books, the Torah, were inspired word of God, and everything else didn't really count. And so this led to so many fights and arguments and just disputes between them because one group worshiped the correct 
correct way and the other group worshiped in the wrong way. And so there was this religious barrier to where you weren't even supposed to walk on the same side of the street as a Jew or a Samaritan if you were the other. But Jesus kicks over this religious barrier. He says, no, I'll still connect with you. The third barrier is this racial, ethnic barrier. You can imagine if there were some deep-seated disagreements about how they practice their faith, uh, and that might lead to violence, that might lead to fighting or quarreling and sometimes murder, that there was some deep-seated racial tensions between Samaritans and Jews. They hated each other. They had terrible nicknames for each other. The racism is well documented in extra biblical accounts of the first century. And that's why she says, hey, why are you speaking to me? We're not supposed to talk to each other. You're not supposed to be even making eye contact with me. What is going on? Jesus breaks down every one of these barriers because he's turning the world upside down. And you know what happens is Jesus, he sees this woman. Beyond all of her labels, Jesus sees this woman. He gives her dignity and speaks directly to her. And ultimately, he longs to bring her out of her isolation into a bigger, more beautiful story. And so Jesus engages her in this short conversation about the water that's coming from this well and the kind of water that he can give, which he calls eternal water, living water. So they have this little side conversation about water and the woman says this in response to Jesus saying he can bring living water. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. And then Jesus does this. He told her, I'll go call your husband and come back. In other words, like, hey, you want some of this water? We'll do it all together. Go call your husband and come back. And she responds, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Now, in our modern Western sensibilities and our way of understanding literature and the way that we communicate to one another, Can we just be honest that, man, we're like, dang, Jesus, like, why are you being so harsh? You know this is a dark part of her story. Why are you bringing this up? Don't you know that you're not supposed to talk about it? You're supposed to skirt around it and text your friends about it later? Like, that's not how we address trauma and drama, right? And so it sounds on the surface like Jesus is just being cruel by bringing up these dark moments in front of her. But of course, I don't believe this is what Jesus is doing. I think um, Jesus speaks these words tenderly to her, And something that I'm just coming to appreciate and also be frustrated by in the person of Jesus is that sometimes when I want a Band-Aid or I want a quick fix, Jesus isn't concerned with a Band-Aid or a quick fix. Jesus is concerned with getting to the root of our issues. Jesus wants to do heart surgery. And Jesus knows that this woman is hiding in the middle of the day, all alone and isolated because of shame. And Jesus wants to actually, in this moment, meet her where she is and speak to her trauma speak to her hurt, to speak to the reasons why she's all by herself. And Jesus is gonna peel back the layers to get there so he can actually heal her from the inside out. So there there are multiple different interpretations because we're not really given all the details to what actually happened in the Samaritan 
woman's past, why she had five husbands and was living with a man who wasn't her husband. The most traditional interpretation that I grew up hearing was the only interpretation was that this woman had quite the reputation. She was a scandalous woman who would meet many men and like marry them and then leave them. And she was like, you know, all around Sychar. She got around that town and she was had a scandalous reputation. This is why women wouldn't want to be seen with her. This is why this is going on. But in the last couple of weeks, I've found some other really beautiful um, interpretations for maybe what was going on in her life. One is that maybe she didn't um, divorce all five of these husbands. It's very possible that she had been widowed, not once, not twice, not three, not four, not just five times been widowed and her husbands had passed away. So maybe she finds herself at this well and she's hiding because it's how she's grieving through the trauma of these losses and wondering why God would allow this to happen. She's all by herself. And she's just grieving and lost. That's a possible interpretation. The interpretation that I find to be the most compelling is that, yeah, she had been with multiple men and been divorced, but in this deeply patriarchal society, women could never demand or give a certificate for divorce. Men had to initiate divorce almost every single time. So it's possible that she had been abused and used by multiple men put on a good face, but as soon as they got married, they said, ah, I love you and I'll leave you. And she had been taken advantage of and left alone five different times. Can you imagine what that would do to your self-worth? Can you imagine what that would do to the dignity that you believe that you have or the lack thereof? It's very possible that this woman in this deeply patriarchal society had been married and thrown to the curb multiple, multiple times. My friends, this is where Jesus meets her in the middle of her mess. What happens is, then, as it happens with us as well, when, when somebody gets like too close to your heart, when somebody gets too close to that like open wound, that like soft spot where you can almost fear, feel the tears welling up in your eyes, I don't know if you're like me, but like I just change the subject immediately. Like I start like making some kind of dumb joke or I'm like, you don't want to see me cry like I did a Black Panther too. Like we got to change the subject here and like you need to do this. And this is exactly what this woman does. And she starts talking about where's the proper place to worship on this mountain or in Jerusalem. She changed the subject just like I think we would do. <laughs> and what's amazing is, is she, at the end of this little side conversation about the proper way and place to worship, she basically throws her hands up in the air and she says this. I know the Messiah called the Christ is coming. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. In other words, I don't know what the right answer is. You've got an answer, I've got an answer. And who knows, but the Messiah will come and explain it to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Jesus reveals to this woman who's been scandalized, traumatized, kicked to the curb, who's been isolated and alone. He reveals to her that he is the coming king that they've been waiting for. He is the Messiah. This in the gospel of John is the first time where Jesus reveals his identity and he chooses to do it with, to this woman out of all people. And that's pretty amazing, right? Isn't that like a beautiful thing that it shows us about Jesus' character is that you know, he, he actually is the Messiah and he shares with this woman. And that's one thing, but the most shocking, beautiful thing about this passage is not the reveal that he's the Messiah. It's what he says here, that the one speaking to you, it's not that he is the Messiah, that's cool, but you know what's beautiful 
is that the Messiah is speaking to this woman. Jesus reveals to this woman. He speaks tenderly to this woman. He, he wants to involve and include this woman in his kingdom movement. And he's speaking to a woman like her. He chooses to. Someone who's hurting, alone, scandalized, that no one would even be seen with. Jesus involves her, embraces her in on his mission. Let me say this, just to break from that world to our world. Maybe you're here today and you feel like, oh man, my life is way too messy. I've got hurts, hangups, bad habits, coping mechanisms that are not okay and I know it, I just don't wanna deal with it. And you feel all alone, like your mess is too great. Or maybe you feel like your life just doesn't even matter. Like at work, you're just a cog in a big machine and they'll just replace you tomorrow. You feel like you don't get respect and honor at home. If you're a parent, you might be in that season where you feel like you're just a check and a ride or a credit card and a ride to and from places. And you're just down on yourself feeling like, man, I don't matter and I'm all alone in this. Can I just share with you that this Jesus that we're centered on here at this church He sees you. He speaks tenderly to you. He knows you, flaws and all, your drama and your trauma. He sees it all and he embraces you and he speaks to you and he he tells you that he is the king that is here to sort all this mess out and he wants to do it with you. It's that gift of belonging that you find in Jesus. You don't get the, now Now Jesus says, now now, lady, I need you to go do these 10 things. I need you to memorize this book of the Bible. I need you to share Christianity with at least 10 people that look like they're evil sinners. Like he doesn't give her this big laundry list, but it's a transformative moment for her when Jesus speaks to her and gives her dignity and honor. It changes her whole life, her whole outlook on life. And that's what belonging does to us. Notice the very next thing that we see happen here is this. Then leaving her water jar, she's so shaken up and taken by this encounter with Jesus, she leaves her water jar. The whole reason she came to the well in the first place, she drops it. And where does she go? The woman went back to town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way towards him. Now, the most miraculous thing that happens in this story to me, the thing that just moves me at a soul level, notice what happens here. Why'd she go to the well at noon? To hide from people, to be alone because she wasn't accepted anywhere. What's the transformation that happens in her heart? Now where is she going? She's running towards the people. She's running towards her community. She was hiding from people. Now she's running towards them. And she's got a mission. She's got a a target of telling people about this Jesus, saying, come and see this man. He can mess your life up in the best ways possible, the way that you truly need it. And she led this little revival in this Samaritan town of Sychar where people were just like left and right wanting to see this Jesus, hear about this Jesus. Jesus came and hung out with them. And a couple of verses later, we see that this woman is right in the middle of this movement happening in her hometown. We're told this. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. She kept going around and telling people her side of the story. And people started to believe that Jesus was the king. He was the Messiah. 
She kept saying this, he told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him, Jesus, to stay with them. And he stayed two days. And that's a whole sermon in itself that Jesus took up residence in a town where he wasn't supposed to make eye contact or talk to anybody, but he does that. And because of his words, many more became believers. They were enlisted in this kingdom movement. And they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. You notice how this woman, she's in the middle of this movement happening in her hometown where she was once hiding and isolated and alone. She now belongs to Jesus. She belongs in his kingdom movement and she's running towards people saying, come and see this man. You gotta check this out. I don't even know how to explain it, but you gotta come see this guy. He's gonna change everything and turn the world upside down. Oh, it's so beautiful. This is the power of belonging, of being known and accepted and included and embraced. Oh, it's the power that changes everything for us. It changed everything for me and it can change everything for you as well. So first, I, I wanna say this, like if you're here and in your holiday season, in the Christmas season, man, you feel alone, you feel isolated, you feel like nobody knows you or wants to know you, and you feel like you're too messy, you've got too much of a reputation, you're just like hiding in your seat this morning or hiding if you're at home watching online. I want you to know that the gift of belonging through Jesus, man, it is for you. The gift of belonging that's found in Jesus, man, it is for you if you feel alone or isolated. And that's actually what the church is called to bring to the world, is to bring belonging. I mean, church and churches, we're, we're just so imperfect and we miss the mark so, so often. But when the local church is hitting it out of the park, when we're killing it and we're running on all four cylinders, it's when we're welcoming everybody in, saying, come and see this man. And we're, we're not taking you know, resumes, but we're saying, come to the table. Do you know that most of your New Testament, past the gospel accounts of Jesus' life, are people like Paul and Peter and James who are trying to like, you know, bring this new community called the church together to be this messy outpost of heaven here on earth. And most of these letters that we have in our New Testament, the big problem that they're trying to solve is, hey, how do we live out this kingdom thing Jesus is about when we're just all messy and we've all got different backgrounds and what God's doing? Paul, writing to this church in Ephesus, he says in Ephesians chapter one, he speaks to what the church and what the mission of the church should be. He says it this way. God decided in advance to adopt us into his family, to his church, to adopt us, even though we're different than he is. He wants to include us in, to adopt us into his family by bringing us, making the move towards us and pulling us in, bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do and it gave him great pleasure. In other words, he loves it. He smiles when people come together from different backgrounds, from different worldviews. And he says, come together under Jesus, be adopted in this new family. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong, there's our word, belong to his dear son. This is what God has always been up to is he's building a group of people that will partner with him and as his family, where we don't take resumes, but we invite everybody and anybody to the table. I love what author and theologian Rachel Held Evans, one of my favorites who's no longer with us, what she said about this kingdom community. Oh, this is so powerful. She said this, this is what God's kingdom community is like. A bunch of outcasts and oddballs gathered at a table, 
not because they are rich or worthy or good, but because they're hungry and because they said yes. And there's always room for more. My friends, this gift of belonging, and this is why we exist as a church, is to say that you matter and you have a place here and that you belong here. And this is what God has been up to. Well, we don't take resumes. We don't give you the entrance exam, but we say, hey, are you hungry? Because I'm hungry. <laughs> you say yes, say yes and come with us. When our church and when any local church is hitting it out of the park, we exist to welcome people into the family that God is building. And when the church is, you know, killing it on all four cylinders, we're a community made up of people who are being transformed by the love and the hope that Jesus came to bring. When the church is what we're supposed to be, we're people who are learning what it means to be seen, to be known, to find true connection and belonging. My friends, that's what we are up to here at Bridgeway. So if you're alone, if you're isolated this Christmas season, know that Christmas, part of the message of Christmas is that God wants to help you belong to his family, to his church. And this is a great place for you to be known and to be loved. No questions asked. But the second part, the second implication of this, is not just for us, but you know, we say all the time around our church, that we don't want to just be people that believe things. Like we don't just check the right boxes about what we believe about Jesus. But God's after partners. He's after people that will link arms with him and join him on his mission. So here's the question we ask all the time. How do we partner with the God to bring the up there down here? How do we partner with God to link arms with him to bring the heartbeat of heaven to the streets of Kokomo in north central Indiana? How do we do that? It's not profound, but it's beautiful. We do this. We invite anyone and everyone to come and see King Jesus. That was the mission of this woman, right? That was the message of this woman. Come and see this Jesus. Come and see the King, the Messiah, who's going to sort out all this mess and establish his kingdom. We invite anyone and everyone to come do this. So let me ask you, who can you say come and see to this week? Is it a neighbor who has an upheaval in their life? Is it a coworker or a coworker from your past who's lost their job and they're in upheaval? Is it a person that you know that's had a bad church experience and has experienced some church hurt where they're afraid to walk into a church again or to trust Christians? How do we see people that life is not going well and we have our Jesus lenses on to see them the way that he sees them, to see them as an opportunity to love and to partner with God and to bring hope and healing to them? And not with a big message of, hey, here are the four spiritual laws. You wanna hear how bad of a sinner you are and here's what Jesus and like, we don't have to have like all the Bible verses memorized, anything like that. But we can just have the woman's message and say, hey, come and see, come and sit with me. Come and see. There's hope, come and see. Just be with me. I'm imperfect. I don't have it all figured out. This is a place where you can belong before you believe anything, come and see. We have a couple of awesome opportunities for that. First, we talked about this. Joanne mentioned it earlier, but our Blue Christmas service on December 21st. Blue Christmas is on the winter solstice. It's the longest night, the shortest day of the year. And we are creating a sacred space for those who have sadness. And we're not saying push down your sadness, but be real about your sadness. Let's let your sadness collide with the hope of Christmas. And not with a triumphant chest beating message, but with a life is hard and Jesus meets us where we are. Maybe you don't need this service, but let, hear me friends, please listen to me. Maybe you don't need this service, but you know somebody that does. And maybe a way you partner with God this Christmas season is to invite them and you go sit with them. 
and you bring the Kleenex. <laughs> I don't know what it could look like, but you're there with them and for them. And that's a way that you can say, come and see. I'll be there with you. I'll sit with you in your sadness. Maybe for you, you're, you're coming to our Christmas services on the 22nd or the 23rd. We have four different options. We've got invite cards that we'll pass out on your way out of church today. But this is a great opportunity for you to say, hey, come and, come and sit with me. Come and see this Jesus. Like, it's changing my life. And this is a place where you will be loved and you will be, uh, that you can belong and that your life can be transformed. Come be with us. You give them a card and there's no like heavy handed thing. You don't have to like give them a whole gospel presentation. Just invite them to come and see. What an opportunity for us to share this gift of belonging to other people this Christmas season. I, I, I pray that you will join in. You'll partner with God and you'll partner with us so that nobody in our community is alone and isolated and nobody in our community feels like they don't matter because in the economy of God, everyone matters. And everyone's been invited to the table. Even you. Even you.